This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 344. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Mr. Producer-in-Chief, Matthew Marister. <laughs> What's up, Riley? What's up, uh, everybody on Facebook? Yeah, man. Yeah. Good to have you. It's been a while. It has. You, you sat out a couple episodes there. Yeah, I was on, I was on the bench. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so welcome everyone. Uh, today's episode is going to be probably pretty quick and to the point, uh, just due to some schedule-related uh, matters. Uh, so we'll move right along. Don't want to spend too much time on on any one particular thing. I do want to give you all a heads up, uh, upcoming schedule-wise. Uh, we do have a our what we call our Triple Guardian course uh, or Guardian Pistol course would be another name for it. Uh, they are really three different one-day classes that as a whole make what we call the triple guardian. Guardian Essentials Pistol, Guardian Standards Pistol, and Guardian Breakthrough Pistol. Uh, we've got that on the schedule September 20th to the 22nd here in Colorado. Uh, it'll be a great class, a great time. We throw at you force-on-force scenarios together with basic uh, handgun manipulation and shooting, followed by intermediate stuff, followed by a little bit more advanced stuff. Uh, but uh, it's, the curriculum has been trimmed down to be as effective as we feel we can possibly make it and teach true guardians only the essentials that will help them uh, prevail in deadly encounters. All right. So hope that you can come and join us here in Colorado again, September 20th to the 22nd. Uh, there'll be some other opportunities in the future, uh, but just because of everything going on, our schedule has been vastly reduced from what it was last year, even just getting out and teaching some of these classes. So today's episode made possible brought to you by, oh, by the way, if you want to learn more about the classes, <laughs> of course, you can message us. You can, you can hit us up podcast at concealedcarry.com. If you don't want to just keep, if you want to just keep it simple, you can email us and uh, say, Hey, I want to come to the class. Then I, I could definitely help you out that way. Or you can go to class.concealedcarry.com and get signed up that way as well. Um, also, I wanted to just recognize a few of you sent emails recently, and we appreciate that. Appreciate uh, uh, those of you that take the time to reach out to us and share with us your thoughts, comments, questions, suggestions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we got one email the other day that I thought was really interesting, and I think we'll find its way into an upcoming episode. Uh, so today's episode made possible brought to you by Guardian Nation. We uh, encourage you to take a look at Guardian Nation and all the various benefits and features that come with membership. And... One thing you can do if you just want to get started and you don't want to pay anything to get started, you can do a 14-day trial. It's real simple. You can just go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 14-day. That is 1-4-D-A-Y. So concealedcarry.com forward slash 14-day. Well, let's jump into uh, today's episode content. Uh, got, of course, i got Matthew with me. And Matthew, Jacob and I did an episode, I think it was like 338 or something like that. And we talked about this idea of what's something that you've changed your mind about recently. Uh, actually, that was episode 337. There it is. I was trying to just, you know, in case somebody wanted to go back and listen to that one. Uh, a quick link for that is concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 337. Uh, so Jacob and I, just, you know, discussed about these things that we've changed our minds about recently. I thought that was a really good discussion. 
And I, and I think there's a lot of validity there, Matthew, because none of us should ever think that we are done learning or that we've learned, learned and developed all the skill that we could ever possibly develop. Uh, that, you know, we are, no matter who we are, no matter where we're at on the spectrum, we are all somewhere along the spectrum of, you know, our journey of getting better, whether it is as shooters, as self-defense-minded individuals, uh, whatever. And so, you know, when I did that episode with Jacob, I actually really wanted to also have you, I wanted to have the three of us on there because I thought having all three of us on the show would be really interesting as we, as we discuss those concepts like, hey, Jacob, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Matthew, what about you? You know, Riley, how about you? So um, this episode is, is going to be less um, about me, although I'm happy to sh- continue sharing other things I've changed my mind about. But, uh, but since we didn't get your perspective back in episode 337, I've got you here today, and that's the topic of today's show. So, Matthew, uh, I'm going to put you on the hot seat now, brother. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, as you're talking, I'm thinking about why do we change our minds about certain things or why do we hold on to certain things so tightly? And um, you made a total valid point is that in order to learn, we have to challenge kind of our own ideas of why we think the way we do or why do we train this way we do or why do we do certain things. And um, I think it's hard sometimes to let go of certain things. For example, like, you know, coming out of the, when I got out of the Marine Corps, you know, and and I go to the police department, I start training with a handgun and it's different. The first things I, I, I'm not a very, I don't have a huge ego and things like that, but there was a little bit of like, man, I just came from combat. This worked for me over there. Why do I have to start changing it, right? And so you learn a little bit different methodologies or different uh, different techniques and things like that. And then it kind of went through that same um, learning curve when I came out and started teaching more civilians um, in civilian context. So um, it's definitely something that I've changed my mind on uh, maybe not totally, you know, changing my mind on everything. um, But there's a lot of things that you kind of see differently or see how that would apply better in this context um, than what I previously, you know, thought or taught or, or was taught. Hmm. So, I mean, you, you, you talked in in our pre-show, you were talking about, your experience, your background, obviously, first as mili- as being a Marine and receiving the training that you did there in the Marine Corps, and then you got out and you became a police officer, and you know different training there. Probably some similarities in some respects, but probably a lot of differences. Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, you tr- transitioned fully into civil, you know, quote unquote, civilian life. And you know, so so c- can you give us some specifics? Like, what's something? in your own training and experience as you've moved from military service to law enforcement service to just regular, you know, everyday life. Uh, what are some of the specific things that are, are different and, or that you've, you know, changed your mind? I mean, I imagine that some of the things that are different are some of the same things you've changed your mind about because right. when you went to the Marine Corps and you were taught things one way, you probably came out thinking like, that's the way it's done. That's, that's the way. Yeah. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, and you don't even have a choice, right? That is the way it will be done. Not like this is how we're going to do it. There are other options. This this is how we're going to do it, period. Um, I think probably the biggest one that that pops off uh, onto my head right now 
is grip and stance. So like in the Marine Corps, we are still teaching um, Weaver and Isosceles stance, right? And, you know, um, for, for pistol, um, obviously. And so um, I remember the first time I went to a, a class where I was taught like thumbs forward grip. And I, I remember I, I was in the police department and they send me off to this advanced training. We're going to spend like thousands of rounds over this weekend. And um, I get in there and the first thing they say is basically they put up this picture on the wall and they say, if you use any of these other grips, any other grip than this, you can leave. No one's going to shoot with any other grip than the thumbs forward grip, which we're going to teach you. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, this is crazy, you know, because I've always, even, even in the Marine Corps, I always knew, you know, like there's a way to teach it. And then there's, everybody's a little bit different. So you got to tweak it a little bit to let everybody actually be able to, to utilize the technique. Right. But this was like a completely different technique. And I'm like, man, this sucks. Like I can't leave and we're in the middle of nowhere. My department said, me. So I got to go. So, um, and so I remember the first day I was terrible in the class. Like I was, there was probably 15 people. I was probably like 18th, you know what I mean? Like I was that bad and everyone's giving me crap. Like, Oh, you know, way to go Marine and all this stuff. And you know, just good natured ribbing, I guess. And, um, so I went back to the hotel that night and I remember I drew a line, um, on my thumb, like, across my, my palms, you know, or my, my thumb to kind of get that alignment. Cause I, it always slipped down. Right. Cause I never shot like that. So I, I sat up like all night, just dry firing. Um, and I went back and I got better and, and, but towards the end of the class, you know, I was like maybe third, second, something like that. Um, but, and so that kind of was a real big, like a paradigm shift in, in my mind as far as like, okay, I, I, the things that I don't know, I don't even know, you know, and, and so I have to learn. And so I think grip now, um, you know, I don't do anything like you must shoot with a thumbs forward grip, but it's definitely something that, you know, you, you, you see the difference once you go through the, the learning process, right? Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't learn using the thumbs forward grip first. I learned a different grip and had to change. So I know that a lot of shooters that come through, civilian shooters that grew up around guns, they probably weren't shooting like that, right? They're using a cup and saucer or holding onto the wrist or something that isn't efficient for managing recoil. So when they come through the course, I kind of had an idea of, yeah, this is going to be some growing pains for you. And so it, it, that's, that's probably one thing that for sure, that's a big one that I changed my mind. Mm. Yeah. I think it is for a lot of people. Uh, I know it certainly has been for me. And I, I think I talked even in that episode with Jacob uh, about how, how much I've, uh, I've really worked hard on my grip. And uh, I think it's paying off in a big way. I mean, I was reviewing some video of myself shooting at a recent match and watching, you know, the recoil of the, uh, of the pistol in my hands. And I'm like, yeah, my recoil management looking pretty solid, you know, I mean, uh, because I mean, if you learn the principles of what recoil is doing and thereby how to counteract that, and then you apply technique that works in the most, at least as, as I understand right now, in the most efficient way possible to counter that recoil, then, you know, it's going to, it's going to do its job. It's going to do what it's supposed to do. Um, 
you know, I was thinking through your discussion there, Matthew, uh, about how it's, it's actually less about where the thumbs are pointing, right? Because we talk so often about the thumbs forward grip, thumbs high, whatever, all this stuff, right? It's actually less about that, in my, you know, in my opinion. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good descriptor as far as if I say thumbs forward or if I say, you know, thumbs high, generally, I think people, at least ones that are familiar with that terminology, will be like, oh, okay, that's, that's how you grip your gun. But the reality is it's, it's not like it, it, it doesn't really matter where my thumb is or mm-hmm. thumbs. Um, what to me that thumbs forward grip describes, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm responding to what you shared to kind of build upon that and share additionally how I've changed my viewpoint about some things. Because at one point in my, in my shooting learning, I went, oh, I'm supposed to use a thumbs forward grip. And you just, you sort of look at pictures and images and you go, oh, I'm going to mimic that. Okay. Right. You know, but you don't really understand why you're doing what you're doing. Um, but the, here's the, here's the why. When we go to a thumbs forward grip, it forces our, our wrists to cock downward, especially on that support hand in a big way. And by cock down, I mean like our, our wrist is, is locking downward or rocking downward that, you know, we talk about wrists locked. There, there really is no such thing in my opinion as, as locking those wrists, um, unless you're using that terminology to mean that you're exerting muscle control and, and tendon control to, you know, hold things in that position and try not to allow it to move. But it's, it's not like there's this magical place that when I do this, that my wrist suddenly locks like, (laughs) right. right? Um, But so anyway, again, back to that thumbs forward approach, what happens when I do that, when I basically point my thumb at the target, that wrist, cocks downward and by so doing it actually brings my the bottom fingers of my support hand it it, it changes the angle of things and it actually tightens up the fingers at the base of the hand on the grip and if we go back to a discussion that i had on shop talk where i talked about recoil and how a gun moves and everything and what's going on there then we can see like well i have recoil energy going like this straight back and forward sort of straight back and forward. Ideally, it would go straight back, right? And then things would recover and go forward. The reality is, is that the slide moves above our hand or even in the case of a revolver, we don't have a moving slide. The barrel is above our hand, mm-hmm. right? And so the recoil goes to the rear, but then it also pivots around the webbing of the hand between the thumb and the index finger, right? And so anyway, back to the wrist thing. When we do that, the thumbs forward and the wrist drops down, those bottom fingers curl in and they pull tighter on the base of the gun, which is the opposite motion from what the recoil is trying to do. And that's just one way of many ways of controlling or managing recoil. So thanks for sharing that with us. That's a good one. You talked a little bit about stance. Um, So first of all, I'm surprised the Marine Corps gave you the option or at least taught you isosceles and weaver. That's what you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that was not, not every uh, um, Marine carries a, uh, or gets trained on carry uh, how to shoot the M nine. So usually it's only officers if they have special jobs and things like that. Um, But yeah, part of the curriculum was the weaver isosceles, but it was basically like 
it's one or the other. There's no combination. There's you either stand like this, you stand like this. Um, and, uh, for me at the time, um, you know, the, the weaver actually was better for me shooting, shooting the, the pistol. Um, and so that's kind of what I stuck with, um, in, in that grip. And so, you know, it, it didn't always translate over to practicality or, or usage of the firearm. I mean, I didn't carry a, a M9 or use it. I, I carried it in, in, in Iraq, but I didn't use it. I used my, my uh, rifle. So the thing is, is that like we trained for the, with the pistol, but we never really used it. We, you know, and so the application wasn't the same as applying it in a police for type shooting or a self-defense with a civilian type shooting. Right. Um, it was really honestly, uh, Marine Corps marksmanship when it, as it applies to pistol, at least when I was there and that's, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, when I, when I was teaching that is, um, I would say pistol marksmanship in the Marine Corps back then was really marksmanship. It wasn't combat marksmanship. The rifle, yeah, rifle program was really good. But as far as pistol, it was really just marksmanship. And so the, the Weaver stance is, is good for that. And so that's kind of why I adopted it. Um, and stance, you know, is similar thing. And, and you know, it, it's, it's interesting to try to, to try to teach people that, or I guess unteach people, right? Like you talk about, you know, things that I've changed my mind about or trying to change somebody's mind because we, we, a lot of people have gone through some basic classes or they've heard the fundamentals of marksmanship and stance is one of them, right? So they believe that they have to have a certain stance to shoot well. And it's just, it's just simply not the case, right? And, and it can't be the case. We can't always be in a perfect stance. Um, certainly certain stances are more beneficial, right? They provide us a better platform, better, easy to move laterally or manage recoil and, and all those things. But certainly the stance is not the, is not an important, uh, or the most important thing, um, in self-defense shooting. And so trying to tell people, Hey, don't worry about your stance so much. Um, they get all kind of like, Oh, well, I don't need to. I don't need to worry about that. And, and so I think that's part of that changing of the mind of saying, you know, don't focus so much on this, get your feet shoulder width apart, nice, easy bend, get your, you know, if you can get the weight of uh, center of gravity over to the balls of your feet, you know, instead of your heels, that's really all I care about. You know, people, Oh, should I drop my right foot back or my left foot? And it's like, I don't care. I really don't care. Um, because your body is going to get in the natural position it needs to, sh to get into when you actually are under stress and have to shoot. And so, um, you know, whether your foot's a right foot's back two inches or not, I, I don't care. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually I, you said something else there. You, you talked about how the Marine Corps, uh, the focus was a lot more on marksmanship. Mm -hmm. particularly through your, through, you know, especially through your initial training. And I, and I totally understand that. And having had numerous family members that have gone through basic training of different branches of the military, that's usually where it begins is here's this M16, here's a target, right? And it's a bullseye target mm -hmm. uh, quite often. All right, shoot, you know, and, uh, and, and I mean, and of course they, they issue, uh, your various, uh, uh, what's it called? 
ratings or qualifications, right? Right. Yep. right as far as like expert or marksman or uh, sharpshooter, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be based on the score that you shoot, right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, I, I'm curious how how have you changed your mind at all, Matthew, about taking a a shooter, particularly a newer shooter, um, particularly in a defensive context? Does it make sense? to start off by teaching them marksmanship shooting or does some, or does some other approach make sense? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And and I was thinking about that as you were talking that exact same thing. So you know, when you're teaching Marines or, or police officers, right, you have a structured way that you teach because you have to get the lowest common denominator. You have to get everybody to qual, right? Because if, if you don't have people qualling, they, especially in police departments, they go into remediation. They can't go on, on the street. They can't carry the firearm. So, so it, you know, in the interest of the police department and this, I mean, you know, this too, the standards are, are, are lower than what they should be because you have to teach to that lowest common denominator. Right. And so you, you must teach like the basics because, it, you, you're applying it to everybody. And so you, you can't really um, individualize it. Um, but I think the thing I like about teaching civilian uh, shooters is the ability to say, you know, to not teach it so such in, in a basic, like these are the fundamentals. Let's learn, you know, breath control, grip, stance, and rather just under try to make them understand what do we want the gun to do? What do we, what's our main goal is to get effective shots on target. How are we going to do that? Well, these are, this is how you're going to look through your sights. Um, this is what you should see. And this is how you should grip the gun, squeeze the trigger without disrupting your sights and just focus on the very, very basic stuff. And then once they start saying, Oh, now I see then to kind of say, okay, this is why, um, you know, this is how your sight should look at this distance or when you're shooting fast, this is how your sight should look as opposed to if you have to take a very accurate shot and then start helping them like really fine tune it. So I think personally that teaching civilians, um, more one-on-one and more in a smaller group, right. Um, and being able to kind of just say, let's get the basics done and realize that you can make this work. And then we'll go back and kind of fine tune everything as opposed to building it. Because in the, you know, in the police department, Marine Corps or, or any military, you have a, a structured program that you have hands on with these people for days. You know, in the Marine Corps, you go to the rifle range for a week and we, we practice for a week before we go qual. So I have the time to kind of build these step by step. But when a civilian comes to your class, you have them for what? three, three, four, five hours, maybe a full day, um, depending on, you know, the class. So you really have to give them the understanding of what's the goal and, and give them that confidence. Like, yeah, I can put shots on target. Okay. Now let's refine it and see what we're actually doing. And, and I think kind of reversing it, um, helps. I don't know if that's what you found, but, um, Mm. for me, that's what I found, uh, interesting to me is something that I wouldn't have thought about. Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, I think there's a lot of value in what you said. Absolutely. Uh, what was going through my mind is, is just how I, I, I do think that, 
I mean, so the way I see defensive shooting currently in my world is there is a an accuracy, accuracy standard, right? Mm-hmm. Like a person needs to be able to apply certain essentials of pistol shooting in such a way that they don't miss essentially, right? Like, like the number one most critical accuracy standard in defensive shooting is not missing your target, period. Right. Right. And I mean, we could get into the weeds and talk about, well, you know, hitting somebody, like if we were looking at a silhouette of a man and we hit him just, you know, two inches in from the edge of the silhouette, meaning like just catching him on the edge of the chest or something like, that's obviously not anywhere near as effective as shooting him square in the center of the chest, right? right. But, but really, the, the, the most important standard accuracy-wise is simply not missing a man-sized target at whatever distance you're shooting a guy that's trying to kill you. Um, now I, I do think a couple of things that, uh, most people don't practice enough under stress or under time constraints, which time constraints really sort of add a little stress or help simulate some stress. Uh, so it's really kind of the same thing. Uh, most people have a misconception, like they over, um, what's the word they, they, um, mm, they, they think, think they're, they're they, they think, think they're, they're better than what they better need. than they are. Right. Right. Because when you're when you're not under stress and you're just standing there at a range, staring at a bullseye, plinking at the range, it's that's one thing entirely, right? But your true level of shooting skill, your true mastery of the fundamentals is not well, it's it, it changes on depending on the situation, right? So you might have mastered some, and I'm going to, I'm using the word master very loosely here in this regard. You, you may have achieved a sufficient level of skill that allows you to hit the 10 ring consistently at seven yards or 10 yards or 15 yards, uh, you know, untimed, not under stress, but have you achieved a level of skill necessary to shoot a moving deadly person, you know, someone's trying to kill you, probably not. Right. So it's a different standard, but the, the most important thing is that we don't miss, right. We don't have to be able to shoot the tightest of groups, uh, but we need to have a solid enough base of shooting fundamentals or essentials as Dave Spaulding calls them to not miss. Right. Okay, so then the second piece is we got to be able to do certain things quickly, right? We need to be able to shoot with follow-up shots relatively quickly, mm-hmm. quarter second to a third of a second splits. You know, that, like that's, you should at least be able to achieve that with reliability, uh, meaning no misses uh, based on whatever target and distance you're shooting at, okay? Uh, so follow-up shots, uh, strings of fire, that are that are where the accuracy accuracy standard doesn't fall apart. So that now means that ac, or excuse me, recoil mitigation is important. Uh, that means so thereby your grip is more important than it is when you're just standing there not stressed. Uh, so it you know so there and again you know reloads and pistol manipulations and movement yourself like as you move yourself. Uh, whether that's running or moving from position to position or whatever it is, or just trying to avoid getting hit. All those things now is a speed component. And so 
I see it as kind of two factors because I see some shooters that are generally pretty good shooters when they're just shooting a static target. And then I, and, but they, they're terrible at their speed component. They're terrible at movement. They don't move very fast or with a sense of urgency. They don't draw their gun very quickly. Uh, you know, their manipulations are a little unsure or unsteady or they, or those begin to fall apart when you put them under a little bit of stress. So we need to learn the manipulations and the motions and the movements and the shooting, being able to just simply shoot things and manage the recoil and work the trigger all doing all that stuff quickly. That's like that speed component is, is a skill. And then the accuracy component is a skill. And then we learn how to marry those up and, and bring those two things together. So where yeah. I'm going with all of that as a response to what you were saying is I think it's helpful to, in my world now, as I, as I'm evolving my own understanding and also instruction is where possible uh, separating those things, like not trying to combine speed and accuracy when someone's trying to learn, because it's best, I think, for them to learn those different components and focus on those components and not combine them until it's appropriate to do so. Um, and so what that means is that there are certain things, especially for newer shooters, that we really waste our time on. Um, and, and, and frankly, the way we've been teaching pistol shooting for a long time, uh, traditionally speaking, it is, I think, a little bit outdated as well as far as how that's approached. And what I'm, where I'm going with this is even down to some of the basic fundamentals that are so often preached, stance and grip and side alignment, sight picture, trigger control, breathing control, follow through, all that stuff. I think we, we actually cause more harm sometimes. It's, it's not true of every student, but I think sometimes we do cause more harm than good when we fill their mind with all this stuff that they really don't need to be thinking about. So I think where we can simplify mm-hmm. what's, what really is important, what really truly matters where it comes to shooting a gun, I think the better we are. Sorry, long-winded no. response to you. No, that's, that's totally, uh, total. I I couldn't say anything more. Um, I I would, I would, um, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about an issue that not an issue, but something that I've changed my mind on. So, um, initially I hated using shot timers. Um, I thought that because, and here's, here's why, um, I, I liked having times, you know, a part time, but when I first started seeing people using shot timers, and this is just because, you know, I wasn't in the shooting sports or anything like that. When I first saw people using shot timers, it was in context of things that it was like, I have a sub-second draw and everybody would go wild over it and, and, and they get one shot on the target and they, and, and they'd be done. And that was like a mark of excellence, right? Or that was, that would give somebody the idea that they're going to survive a shooting or that, that they have the skills required to, um, you know, the, 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 those skills are going to apply in, in a shooting and certainly drawing your gun fast is important, right? But I'd rather have somebody who can think and tactically understand the situation and know when to draw rather than just have a draw to a, a sub-second draw with one shot and then what? And then I go into my, you know, reload drill that I've been practicing. So f- like initially I was like, I was big against like, okay, we'll, we'll use a timer for certain things. So we're not taking 15 minutes t- 
you know, to shoot this string of fire, but I'm not going to give you guys times because I don't want you just doing something just to beat a time when you're, you know what I mean? Or, um, thinking that you're not good because you had a bad day and, you know, you have a, a one second draw instead of a sub second draw. And, oh, now, I, you know, now I'm terrible. So, but as I started to better utilize the timer in conjunction with drills, building specific skills in, in, in explaining this is these are drill. These drills are not necessarily going to translate directly into you surviving a gunfight. It's more of a skill that you were working on to develop Right. And so you may have a sub second draw. You may be able to do, a, you know, a, shoot an awesome build drill. Um, but that's, and those are great skills, but they are only skills. And now you have to start thinking tactically. You have to start thinking about positions and movement and all this other stuff. Um, and, and so, you know, I've had people run a build drill and they haven't, they're, they're, you know, the nat- or, and I've, I've done it myself. My natural point of aim is just outside the box, right? And you run a really good time, but it's just outside the box. So, you know, it's a terrible score. So you're like, am I a terrible shooter? Am I, am I never going to survive a shooting? Because you know, my, my natural pony name was two inches up into the right for today. You know, so I, I, that was kind of my pushback on timers, but now mm-hmm. I definitely, I use them. I think there's, there's definite benefit as long as you're use, utilizing it and understanding, um, what the timer is actually there for. So, and, and yes. that's my, my point of view. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's just yeah. how I, I've, I've looked at it recently. Uh, I, we need to, I know, start wrapping up just because of your schedule and I know you got to get going. Um, just kind of to, to respond to that really quick. Here's one of the challenges I think a lot of shooters, and, and I think you're kind of touching on this, maybe whether you really are thinking about this necessarily or not, I don't know, but, but you're kind of touching on this, this idea that um, when you have somebody shoot a timed drill and so there's a, there's a time standard but that drill also has an accuracy standard, right? Right. And let's just say that they are able to complete the drill with a perfect score, but they don't meet the time standard. What does that tell you? Yeah. How how do you score that? Right. Well, you got a perfect score, but you're outside of the time frame that you should have been able to complete it in. So it's a fail, right? All right. right. So let's say then that somebody is able to shoot a drill under well under the time, maybe even just under the time, but they don't meet the accuracy standard. Okay, what does that tell you? Well, they could get it done fast enough, but they didn't meet the standard because they've, you know, like, in other words, it, there's, a, there's this kind of this opposite, there's these two competing things, right? Because there is that balance of speed, there's a balance of precision or accuracy, right? And it's hard to know what you have to work on personally uh, when you have those two things competing against each other, mm-hmm. right? right? So, so a drill that measures time and accuracy is just a drill for the sake of being a drill, and it and it is a measurement of how well does this person balance their speed and their precision, right? But again, if you ask them, well, what do you need to work on the most? Most of those shooters will probably sit, stand back and go, uh, I don't really know. Right, because they don't know exactly what about that drill, you know, what about their execution of that drill 
what failed them. They don't know whether it was the speed. They don't know whether it's the accuracy. They don't know if they need, they don't know if they need to work on grip. They don't know if they need to work on, on their footwork. They don't know, you know, you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, that's a really challenging thing, you know, for, I think some shooters, they, they do various drills and go, well, what do I actually work on? What do I need to do to actually get better? Right. And, And that's why I think it makes sense to actually, you need to actually separate those things, uh, where appropriate and, and, and focus on, okay, I can get better at my movement. I can get better at, you know, my, my execution of my draw or my reload. Uh, oh, I, I have some struggles sometimes with accuracy. Well, that's probably a, a factor of my grip or my trigger control or my sight picture, right? Those are the three things that make the most difference, right? And so you have to isolate those things and, and figure out where they're lacking, work on those things individually, and then again, try to bring it back. And then also, and this could be another topic for another time, and I'm working on getting a guest on the podcast that may be able to shed some light on some of this um, as far as how to better um, uh, find that balance. And I definitely have some thoughts, but we're out of time. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of leave it at that. But it's just kind of some interesting stuff to, to think about there. Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, um, again, I, and I regret we got to call it, kind of cut it short. But uh, Matthew, I know, has got to go. He's got he's to pick somebody up from school, <laughs> someone very <laughs> important to him. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I appreciate you being on this episode with me today, man. Yeah, dude. It was really fun. I know it's short, but... Uh, I, I, you know, we, when we touch about on some stuff that we could probably talk about in another podcast at length, cause uh, there's a lot to unpack, dude. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and by the way, just cause it popped back in my brain, I appreciate you bringing in the tactics piece into it as well. Cause that is another element. I, I've been ta- focusing on the shooting element in some of right. my comments. You touch on the tactics piece, which is also really, really, really critical, especially in the defensive yeah, side of things. So, and, and that's the thing. I, I don't want to come across as saying, you know, timers are bad. I, I, I think they're good, but I do think that if you solely think that a short, a, a quick draw to first shot or, you know, you're, you're meeting a part-time and then that that is the only skill that you need, then I think that you're leaving out a big component of it, which is the mental part. And, possibly not even getting involved in the shooting in the first place or putting yourself in a better tactical situation. So you don't have to have a sub second draw that you can, you know, you, you get yourself in a situation where you can have a five second draw and still survive. That's, that's better than being in a, in a situation because you you know, you're in condition white and now you have to have a sub second draw to survive. Um, hopefully you get it done. Um, but just cause you got it done on the range, doesn't mean or in your home doesn't mean it's going to happen so um that's that's all i was saying is kind of bring the two together yep yep which by the way that's a perfect segue in as we leave the program here now at this point to just make another plug for our uh, guardian pistol curriculum <laughs> because we marry all of those things into one course with the force on force scenarios with the shooting components with, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's about marksmanship. It's about speed. It's about tactics. It's about bringing all these various skills that I think are all critical into one curriculum and one, uh, one series of courses. So again, we got those courses in September. Come, come out to Colorado. Even if you have to make a little bit of a drive or, or even fly. Flights into Denver are really cheap, by the way generally speaking. <laughs> anyway, uh, Guardian Nation, our sponsor of the episode today. You can find out more at guardiannation.com. And if you want to take advantage of the 14-day trial, 
a link for that is concealedcarry.com forward slash 14 day, one four D-A-Y. Well, with that, we got to let uh, Matthew go. And so we'll sign on out of here. Thanks again, buddy. Thanks. Thanks and, and uh, everybody in Facebook and yeah, appreciate it. Yes. Thanks, brother. So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everybody. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.